we've seen a human dematerialize more than 1,000 times. It's not a rare phenomenon. And the reason that people can dematerialize is because a human body, when it's not in its sort of solid state, is in a hazy wave state, and it's not solid at all. And so that's why people come and dematerialize. So this non-solid being is sitting on... Next on News for the Soul, it's time for the Whole Health Initiative with Dr. Holly. With more degrees than a thermometer, Dr. Holly's PhDs include psychology, natural medicine, herbal medicine, nutrition, and Ayurveda. She's a scientist, professional speaker, and the author of over 20 books. She also sees and works with energy, and she's here to help you achieve complete optimum health. Please welcome Dr. Holly back to News for the Soul. Hi, everybody, and welcome to November the 30th. Holy cow. Uh, We've got a full program today, so I hope you're having fun. Uh, I've already sent the articles to Nicole, so hopefully they're already up if you want to follow along on the articles. Um, We started, I think, back several months ago going through the alphabet. Uh, So for instance, uh, for the letter A, we chose arthritis. For the letter B, we looked at the brain. For C, we looked at cancer. D, we looked at diabetes and depression, two different weeks. Uh, E, we looked at eczema and various skin rashes. F, we looked at fibromyalgia and other arthritic conditions. And today we're going to deal with G. So I I forgot that I was doing that because I was actually doing it for two other programs. Um, And one got... uh, had to stop for a month and the other one had to stop for two weeks and she's like okay we got going again but <laughs> in the meantime I forgot we were doing this so I thought okay we're back to the letter G or I think we left off at G so for G we're going to look at gout which is yes an arthritic condition but we're going to focus on gout today I've had umpteen people come in with gout lately um, so let's figure out what it is how to deal with it how to eliminate it Like I said, it is considered a form of arthritis, and it's caused by high levels of uric acid. Now, if these high levels aren't resolved in the body, then we can have kidney stones and or gout. So what increases the uric acid in the body? Well, it's a a diet high in purine food. So what the heck does that mean? Foods that are high in purines include sweetbreads, various Seafood like anchovies and sardines, herrings, mackerel, mussels, smelt, and scallops. The only ones I'll eat out of those are scallops, and that's it. Oh, anchovies. I'll have anchovies in a Caesar salad. The rest, I all smoke sardines I do like. Most of those things I don't. Uh, Organ meats uh, like liver, hearts, brain, kidney, beef kidneys in particular. I always suggest you don't eat liver. People say you should eat liver because it's high in various nutrients. Well, yeah, it is, but it's also the major detox center of the body, so it's got all the toxicities in the body. Why would you want to eat that? So, yeah. Yeast, of course, various breads, various meat extracts like oxo and bovril, game meats, uh, grouse, mutton, veal, and bacon. And again, I don't know why they have bacon in there, but bacon is usually in there with the game meat stand those are way too strong for me it's like australian beef is way too strong for me other people just love it gravy uh shellfish um like uh, we've already said a few of them but why well while shellfish are high in purines it's important to keep your fish 
okay? So make sure you keep that fish in your diet. Fish, of course, we've talked an awful lot about how salmon isn't as great as it used to be. It used to be always uh, suggested for the high omega-3s. Uh, so we eat instead the steelhead trouts, which is the, I don't know why they called it the trout. It's a salmon family. It's just in the fresh water rather than the salt water. And the reason we've been avoiding the saltwater salmon is because the uh, radiation is still being dumped out of Japan that started in, that we identified in 2011 anyways. So uh, your fish is really good for you. Your fatty fish are terrific for you, but rather than salmon, we eat steelhead trout. Uh, fat. Foods high in fats are associated with an increased risk. And sugar, of course, all your simple carbs like your potatoes, your rice, your pasta and the flours, your alcohol, baking and breads, your junk food, your sweetened juices. There's a ton of juices that are claimed out there to be uh, good for you that are loaded with sugar. And fruit juices in and of themselves can be upwards of 300% the normal amount of sugar found in that fruit. Uh, So with the sugary drinks, uh, check your labels with the juices. Make sure it's unsweetened and not sweetened with aspartame or any of the other synthetic um, chemicals. Now, aspartame will change to formaldehyde in the body. That's why we don't like the aspartame. That's why it's now I think there's 20, 20, there's 12 different labels uh, that are all for aspartame, but they go to court and they just simply change the name and keep going. And it's like, really? Come on. Uh, but we know <laughs> the food industry is not the healthiest industry out there. And they work hand-in-hand hand with the pharmaceutical industry, which is an interesting association. Uh, even fruit high in fructose sugars are high and can be associated with gout. They uh, spike the fructose, or the, rather the fructose spikes in the liver, and that can cause issues and actually can lead to gout. But it's because of these foods, that it used to be referred to as the rich man's syndrome. Uh, Lots of high uh, meat products, lots of heavy sugars, lots of uh, baking and sweets and what have you, and that was considered rich man's diet, and rich men were typically the ones that suffered from gout. So what are the symptoms of gout? Well, they're usually sudden attacks. It's usually intense pain, and it's usually in a joint. The most common is the big toe, but it can also be found in the ankles, knees, elbows, wrists, and fingers. Now, I'm going to take a little aside from this because I woke up one night. This is maybe 20 years ago, um, and my ring finger, which had a ring on it, you could watch it. It was just growing tremendously fast and hurt like you know what. I thought, holy shoot, what the heck do I do? This was long before I became a doctor of natural medicine, so more than 20 years ago, I guess. Um, Anyways, I was on my own. I had to get up and get dressed with my left hand because it was my right hand that was causing the problem. Get down to the hospital. Of course, I'm sitting in the hospital in the emergency ward at 3 in the morning for two hours before they could look at me, and they just suddenly decided it was gout. And I said, and they said, oh, well, you know, you already have on your file, you have fibromyalgia, you have osteoarthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, so you have a high risk factor for gout. I said, I understand that. I got rid of all that other stuff, and I don't eat a high purine diet. I happened to know what it was at the time. Would you please take that for my uric acid? Well, if I remember correctly, uric acid has to be over three, 354 to be uh, considered gout. Mine was down at 240, 
I said, it's not gout. So even if you get one of these uh, issues, make sure that they don't just jump to an assumption, that they actually test your uric acid. I obviously didn't have uh, gout, and they had to keep testing for something else. I don't even remember what it was. I remember they had to cut off the ring, and that really bothered me. But it was like, if I don't cut it off, I'm going to lose the finger. So um, I did cut off the ring. However, you can have issues that can be easily misdiagnosed. And again, I will come back to there's three to 400 different symptoms, but there's over even just with medical, with the Western medical system, there's over 12,000 different diseases, disorders, dysfunctions. And then we have on top of that all the medical toxicities, nutrient deficiencies, et cetera, et cetera, that we identify with real medicine. So any time that you're given a diagnosis, make sure that you get the blood work or whatever is necessary to confirm that, yes, that is it. For instance, I'll just take another aside here, cancer. I've had people come into my clinic and say, well, they were diagnosed with cancer. And I said, well, can you send me the lab test? Well, what do you mean? I never had a lab test. You're not allowed to diagnose it with cancer unless you've actually had a biopsy taken from that, quote, tumor and put it in through a laboratory testing to confirm it's cancer. If I did that, they could sue me. And yet I, you wouldn't believe how many doctors, MDs, will identify that it's cancer when it hasn't even been tested yet. Like, that, this is crazy. Anyway, let's get back to the coach. Okay, so this is when the intense pain subsides, which usually happens in about 12 hours, there will be a lingering discomfort. But if it truly is gout, you're now more likely to have more events and more often. These events progress both in um, frequency and they can actually increase in pain, but they will also decrease your ability to move. So you'll have increasingly uh, limitation of motion. There's obviously swelling, there's redness, and there's heat, and there's t- tenderness. And obviously, that's all to do with the inflammation. Whenever you have inflammation, you have red, you have swelling, you have heat, and you have tenderness. So that's all part of the inflammatory component. But again, once you've had an attack, if it's a true gout attack, if you don't deal with the issue, your body's going to have those gout attacks more and more often. So make sure you deal with the issue, get it down in your body. So if the buds are high in purines, and purines are known to cause uric acid, which is the gout, then you want to obviously eliminate those foods. But you'll also want to eliminate foods like a salmon, trout, haddock, turkey, pasta, Partridge, a partridge in a pear tree. We're getting close to that. It's almost Christmas. Goose, pheasants, and uh, kidney um, products uh, from different animals. So what you do want to eat in moderation is your vegetables like asparagus, cauliflower, spinach, mushrooms, and green peas. I think, yeah, I did. I put in a note. Note that high-purine vegetables like asparagus and spinach, as much as they're high in purine, they're not correlated with a gout risk at all. And as far as I remember, I didn't check this today, but nobody knows why. Last time I looked, nobody knew why. Um, So other uh, foods that you want in moderation are lentils, dried peas, and beans, beef, pork, poultry, fish. Not so much, remember, the fish as the seafood. Seafood is more important um, and beef is more important. 
oatmeal, wheat bran, and wheat germ. So there's foods you want to totally avoid and then foods you want to keep at low moderation. So what then are the best foods to eat? Well, alfalfa sprouts that you can grow over the winter in your windowsill. Yes, alfalfa sprouts are rich in minerals and vitamins. They're used to reduce the uric acid crystals, and that's partly due to the they increase uh, the pH levels in the gut and in the blood. Apples. Now, Granny Smith apples are known to contain malic acid, which lowers the uric acid. Now, sweet apples contain a lot of sugar, which can cause a flare-up and make the pain worse. So, again, make sure we go to the Granny Smith apples, not your sweet ambrosias and fuchsias and all those lovely sweet apples. You want to avoid those. We tell you that for all kinds of different things. Uh, One of the most important that I not most important maybe, but the most common I focus on is the quercetin. You have high levels of quercetin in the skin of the Granny Smith apples. And you have good fiber, you have good nutrients. Granny Smith apples are always a favorite of mine to uh, recommend. Now, cherries, historically it's been you needed to drink the black cherry or the sour cherry juice. But when you're eating the cherries, whether they're sour, sweet, red, black, juice, or berry, it doesn't matter. Any cherry is effective and any cherry juice can be effective. Um, Strawberries, blueberries, and other red blueberries are also effective in helping to break down or prevent uric acid buildup. Now, because I had that gout issue that one time that they thought it was gout when in fact it wasn't, but because of that and because I learned at that point that if you have any of the arthritic conditions like osteoarthritis and rheumatoid arthritis, you're at high risk for gout. So because of that, I have four cherry trees in the backyard. I eat cherries a lot in the summer when they come out. You say, well, I can't eat them all year round. They're not available. It doesn't matter. The compound that you need out of the cherries, your body will store in the liver. So if you eat lots and lots and lots of cherries during the summer when they're actually available and falling off the tree, then they'll keep you fine throughout the rest of the year. Bananas. Now, the potassium is great to help a lot of different organs function effectively, and they can be uh, very effective in keeping the uh, uric acid down because they're helping organs, and particularly the kidneys, to flush out the uric acid. But you have to be careful with bananas. So when I looked on a lot of sites that actually recommended bananas, I was like, well, they're high in sugar, just like your sweet apples, so they can actually be a uh, cause of a flare-up, and or if you have a flare-up, we know that sugar enhances the perception of pain. So if people are low in potassium, and your kidneys do need potassium to function, I always suggest take half a banana and on alternate days. Uh, bananas are great for both potassium and magnesium. They're great for fiber, but they're high in sugar. So um, be careful with bananas and just eat half a one on alternate days. Now, celery is good, but it's more about the celery seeds, um, not the, the stock of celery. So if you grow celery, which we do, and you allow your celery to go to seed, that is fantastic. Those seeds are incredibly good for all kinds of good things. Tomatoes, again, I didn't put it in there. I was meaning to, but I got sidetracked, I guess. Tomatoes are fantastic tomatoes. Uh, The reason being, as with the eyes and with whatever else we use tomatoes for, there's lots of different things. 
Uh, I grow tons of tomatoes, and I have at least eight different species every year. Two of my species this year were just horrible. It didn't work out. I mean, they produce but very small amounts, whereas I had other ones that, holy cow, I'm going to grow these again. The one I think that produced the most fruit this year was called a yellow pear tomato, which I'd never grown before, but, man, did it produce. Anyway, tomatoes, we don't have the enzymes to break down the cellular membrane in a tomato to access all those lycopenes and other nutrients that the tomatoes provide for us. So I will suggest be a good Italian and cook your tomatoes and have all kinds of tomato sauces for anything and everything. Uh, complex carbs are great. Again, your kale, cabbage, parsley, green leafy vegetables. Uh, we could actually put in that uh, category your asparagus and your spinach because as much as they have purines, remember I said, they are not associated with gout. Who's high in bromelain? Bromelain is an enzyme that you find particularly in pineapples and papayas. It's good for digestion and it's good to help with gout. Who's high in vitamin C? Now, um, I think I go through this a little bit later. Foods high in vitamin C, let's start there, are red cabbage, red bell peppers. I often tell people have a red bell pepper every afternoon. Tangerines, mandarins um, are high in vitamin C, but uh, they no longer oranges, okay? Oranges, the um, soils, most of the commercial soils for oranges have been depleted in magnesium. Consequently, the oranges can't make vitamin C anymore. Potatoes, particularly if you grow your own, they're high in minerals when you grow your own. Uh, you only want to drink small amounts of fruit juices, and you want, again, to avoid those that have all the added sugar. And it doesn't matter whether it's real sugar or artificial like um, aspartame. You want to drink lots of water to keep the kidneys flushed out. Low-fat dairy products, good chocolate. Remember, good chocolate, and I would suggest 88% or higher, has over 1,400 compounds in it. It's just so good for the entire body in so many ways. Essential fatty acids, again, um, your tuna. I've got in salmon, this is obviously an article I wrote a long time ago. Uh, Again, the salmon, I would change to uh, steelhead trout. Your flax seeds, your nuts and seeds of various different types. Now, tofu, again, used to be recommended, but I say no because 92% of soy is GMO, high in estrogens. We've got way too much estrogen in our diets anyways in today's world because all the plants and Animals um, are sprayed or shot up with estrogen to make them grow faster, and that leads to all kinds of estrogen-based tumors and cancers, what have you. So we don't, I avoid the tofu. I used to eat it. Actually, we used to go way out of our way. Back, this is like 1978, 79, 80. Um, we used to go shopping at, at a place that was 45 minutes away from home, just so we could get the tofu products because we couldn't find them anywhere else. And today, we avoid them like the plague. Okay, now, unexpected research shows that things that might be good for gout or to help reduce gout that I was really surprised at, and this is a new new one that I didn't hadn't read before, was drinking caffeinated coffee. Now, what's the problem with that? Coffee, like strawberries, absorb all the toxins in the soil. So... And some, it's really going to aggravate the situation because of all the toxicity. So it may not be appropriate, especially if you have other types of medical issues, in particular, to give a good example of adrenal issues. You don't want to be drinking coffee. It aggravates the problem. Now, 
Of course, all these foods that we've identified are better if you grow them. You know how much I want you to grow your own food. Okay, let's look at other issues that can cause gout. What about medications? Diuretics used to treat high blood pressure or edema can actually increase uric acid, which I would have thought it would be the opposite because it's trying to flush out through the kidneys. But perhaps it's going too fast. Uh, there could be a number of different issues going on there. ACE inhibitors, beta blockers, angiotensin II receptor blockers. Now, all those are used for high blood pressure. Uh, chemo drugs, uh, cyclosporine, uh, which is used when you have a uh, organ transplant so that you don't reject the organ. Uh, levodopa dopa is used for Parkinson's. Aspirin, of course, the active component in aspirin, aspirin actually can cause uh, gout. So, all right, medical conditions that can cause gout. Kidney issues, of course, diabetes, infections, obesity, stress, and surgery. Holy cow. But there's also nutraceuticals that can cause gout. If you have way too much vitamin C in your body, now vitamin C can prevent gout. Uh, sorry, it can be used not to prevent gout, but rather it's really important in the body for the immune system, for your connective tissues, for it's an antimicrobial in some ways. So it's really good, important, but you can take too much of it just like anything else. That, and I've got vitamin B3. I think that's a mistake. It's supposed to be. No, it is. Vitamin B3, that's right. Uh, both of those can actually cause gout if you've got too much. Now, the thing about the vitamin C is once the gout and the inflammation has gone, then you need to have the vitamin C in order to rebuild that connective tissue that was affected by the gout and the inflammation. Okay, so what can we do to handle the gout? Well, number one, we can drink ginger, whether it's in a tea, in a stir fry, whether you use it topically, it can reduce the uric acid. So as a contrast on topically, you can create a ginger paste by taking a cup of boiling water and freshly grated ginger root. Soak the ginger root for about 20 minutes in the water. Once you've got a good ginger water going, now you can soak a cloth in that uh, mixture and apply it when it's cool. You leave on for about 20 minutes and you do that twice a day. So say it's your big toe, you shred the ginger, put it into a pot of water, you bring the water to a boil and simmer it for about 20 minutes. Now you've got a ginger tea, basically. And then you soak the cloth in that ginger tea for about, and then put it on the, the uh, affected area for about 20 minutes. Do at least twice a day. Again, with the uh, shredding the ginger into the pot of water, like I said, now you have, you bring it to a boil and let it simmer for about 20 minutes, you've got a good ginger tea. If you put in good lemon juice, remember how I told you to make lemon juice, you take a good organic lemon, obviously you wash it, you cut off the ends, because in the ends you have compounds that can actually lead to kidney stones and other things that we don't want to have. So make sure you cut off the ends. The rest of it, the outer rind, inner rind, and the seeds, you put in with a liter of water into a blender. And you blend that. And now you have a really good lemon juice. Squeezing lemon pulp juice into water gives you hardly anything at all. Most of the nutrients is in the outer rind, the inner rind, and the seeds. So you want all that in the blender in the water and make your lemon juice. So you can add that lemon juice to your ginger tea. The other thing that's really good to add to your ginger tea is good honey. Now, we used to say pasteurized honey was as good for you, 
bad for you as a pasteurized honey was good for you. So you wanted the unpasteurized honey. The problem with unpasteurized honey in today's world is that commercial beehive keepers are adding fructose, high uh, high fructose corn syrup to the beehives on a regular basis. It used to be rule of thumb. You might do that just to start a new hive or to help a hive through a particularly cold winter. But now they're doing it on a regular basis, which is changing the DNA of the bees and the nutrient profile of the honeys. So with the gal that I work with, she is fantastic. She feeds the new, she has over 200 hives. She feeds the bees honey. If it's a particular cold winter, she feeds them honey, not high fructose corn syrup. And on top of that, the hives are uh, surrounded, uh, sorry, the blueberries, the organic blueberries that the bees feed off of are surrounded by incredibly high trees that protect them from all the um, pollutions in the air. So she's got incredibly high-grade, high-quality honey and bee pollen as well. So you want to make sure that you, it's not just that it says I'm pasteurized. You want to know whether or not the, beehive keepers are keeping the beehives going or starting them with high fructose corn syrup or with honey. Okay? So you don't just buy it in a grocery store. So now you've got a ginger compress to put on top of the affected area, and you've got a ginger drink with lemon juice and honey that you can also use. Another herb that you can use from your kitchen is turmeric. And as we always say, turmeric is anti-everything. We just can't find uncle. I love that joke. (laughs) Anyway, it's anti-inflammatory, it's antioxidant, it's antimicrobial, it's anti-anti-anti. So what it does here is it helps reduce the inflammation and thus the pain. Now, the problem with turmeric is 80% of the world's turmeric, if you talk to any of the the good nutraceutical companies, recognize that 80% of the world's turmeric sources are toxic. So you need a good, clean turmeric. So I'm always telling you, go to Savanti, S-E-W-A-N-T-I, for your turmeric. She puts her turmeric through three different laboratories to make sure that it's clean. And what do you do with that? Well, you heat up some avocado or coconut oil or a blend of both. Avocado is usually used for inflammation, coconut for infection. I suggest why not use both. Heat it up, add enough turmeric to make a paste, and then enough pepper to taste. That allows your body to absorb the turmeric curcumin compounds across the mucosal membrane from your gut into your portal blood, which takes the curcuminoid compounds to your liver, but your liver now needs pepper compounds in order to process it. Salt, cattle, and or coconut oil, add turmeric to make a paste, add pepper to taste. People often say, well, Holly, how much pepper do I add? Well, taste it. Because in my mind, your body will be able to tell you how much you need. I use a load of turmeric, of pepper. Um, but I use a load of pepper all the time. I use very little salt and lots and lots of pepper. Anyways, how much would you take? About half a teaspoon twice a day. Another drink you can make is with a cup of warm water, add in a teaspoon of apple cider vinegar, a teaspoon of lemon juice, and two teaspoons of good turmeric. I would say as much as that is a common one, I would put the oil in there as well, the avocado or coconut oil, for the absorption. Okay? All right. Um, Why lemon juice? 
that's because the citric acid in lemon juice is great for dissolving the uric acid crystals. Now, that's not just lemons, that's limes as well. It's also grapefruits as well. Uh, but here we've just talked about the lemon. So eating grapefruits, I drink a lot of grapefruit juice, but I make sure that my juice has no added sugar in it. And actually what I love, because I love tart, sour things, is I drink a grapefruit juice blended with lemon juice, and then I use my soda stream to carbonate it. And for me, that is a beautiful drink. Okay, so vitamin C in there helps the connective tissues and reduces the joint pain once it's gone, so the body holds on to that. Okay, in terms of herbal tinctures, you may want a combination, and I would suggest you go to a good herbalist for this because you want to have the appropriate um, ratios of the different ones. But let's just go over some natural herbs that a herbalist could give you. Burdock helps the uric acid to pass through into the urine and cleans the toxins from the blood. Celery seeds, anti-inflammatory, clears uric acid, and note that's the seed, not the celery. Devil's claw improves conditions like arthritis and gout. Alien aparine, that's cleavers, that helps remove the uric acid. Hibiscus tea, now you can do that on your own. It's anecdotal. There's not a lot, I couldn't actually find any um, clinical research for it. Doesn't mean it's not out there. I just didn't find any. Um, but it's the uh, tea is of benefit, is recommended anecdotally, not clinically, uh, just because it hasn't been supported. Milk thistle helps the liver and thought to reduce uric acid. Parsley helps to remove uric acid. Parsley is great for the kidneys. Tractacum leaf and um, our dandelion tea that, again, is, uh, note the dandelion root is good for the liver. Uh, the leaf is better for the kidneys. It helps improve kidney functions and therefore expected to reduce your uric acid levels. Urtica diosi or stinging nettles, that reduces inflammation and thus the pain. And again, anecdotal research shows that it is used to increase urinary output of uric acid. Now, that was from Duke 1997. I meant to put in the full reference for that. Sorry, I forgot. Again, I get easily distracted. Doing too many processes at the same time, and then you got phone calls and texts and emails that come in. and like, Oh, dear, that's my excuse, getting too old. All right, supplements include supplementing with magnesium, just about anything you can help with supplementing with magnesium. And this is where I put uh, foods or supplements uh, for vitamin C. It's a great preventative. It's not so useful once you have the gout, but then again, it's useful to restore connective tissues after it's gone. But high levels of vitamin C can actually cause gout. And that's why I said earlier we would get back to that because there is an issue with vitamin C. So you want to take good, healthy levels. Um, and one of the ways that naturopaths will look at different alternative medicines will look at whether or not you have enough magnesium is if you've got too much or you don't Okay, there's a number of variables here. So if you've got too much, you're going to have loose stools. The challenge is there's 13 different types of magnesium. Which one is causing the loose stools? Do you have transport mechanisms for all of them? Or is it that you do, because you've been so low on magnesium, you've lost the transport mechanisms and need to rebuild them in effect? So both with magnesium and vitamin C, if you don't absorb it all into the body, you're going to get loose stools. So 
So whenever you're, but most of us are deficient in it. So how do we deal with that? You take a given amount, whether, you know, and I'm saying given amount because even, you know, take a pill, well, how much does it have in it? Um, you can get pills with 250, 500, 1,000, and 1,500 milligrams of vitamin C. So that's why I'm saying you take a given pill. And you increase it about every four to five days until you start getting a loose stool. Back it down. So say you're up to three a day. Back down to two a day. Give it a week and then see if you can take the three a day because your body might have produced now more transport mechanisms so that you can absorb more into the body. Okay? Uh, That's what we do with magnesium. With vitamin C, what we do is um, you take a given amount until you get a loose stool and then just simply back it up. Now, with both of those, I'll only do that for a very short period of time because ultimately I want your body to absorb those nutrients with food, not with a pill, with food. Again, like I've said so many times, my attitude is you want your body to do the work. You don't want to do the work for it. So the more work you get your body to do, the stronger it's going to be. Okay? All right. Other supplements are like anti-inflammatories, like bromelain, ginger tincture, fish oils, etc. In Ayurvedic medicine, you can use a tonic called Google, uh, Google gum, Gudushi, and Trifla. Trifla is the one I like the best. Uh, but all of these uh, are known to remove uric acid from uh, body. So obviously the basic supply, you've got your good healthy diet, you exercise regularly because the body requires movement, you want to get good sleep, and you want to avoid your toxins, whether in the food, the cleaning and hygiene process, uh, products, processed, pasteurized, microwave, fast foods, and GMO foods you want to avoid. And I've given you a whole bunch of different references there for that. Okay, so hopefully you got something out of there. If you didn't get everything that you needed, then uh, Nicole is always terrific for archiving the articles, so you can always go back and find them on News for the Soul. Okay, so now we're going to go into the questions. Um, Brandy from New Jersey, is there a way to reverse the aged look in hands, wrinkles, and swollen knuckles? Well, there's all kinds of different things you can use, Brandy, and it depends on what's causing the issue, like we always say. Uh, you can have one issue and 12 different causes and 20 different protocols. So let's just go over some of the more commonly uh, recognized ones. If it's liver spots, you're trying to eliminate those dark spots uh, that are referred to as liver spots or sun spots. Lemon. Put lemon on them. Uh, just a slice of lemon. Uh, very often, um, you do it two, a couple times a day for a couple weeks and you remove the liver spots. A balance of hydration and oil is important in the um, skin itself. So often, it's not just one that the balance between them is ineffective. And for as we get older, the balance of both of them is depleted. So number one, you want to keep well hydrated, but you also want to use avocado oil. Another um, recommendation. Recommendation is to use banana pulp. So you take a banana, you just only need a little wee bit of it, uh, maybe uh, like an inch, and make it into uh, a pulp and rub it onto your hands, and when it dries, rinse it off. You do that daily again for a couple weeks. The one I like is with an aloe vera plant. I, and I, even when they say 98% aloe vera, 
Um, I don't use the products because I'd rather use it straight from the plant. Obviously, to get it put into any kind of cream or what have you, it has to have some sort of processing. So um, I take it off the plant, take a, a one of those the end of one of the leaves, open it up, scoop out the aloe vera, and put it right onto the hands. Coconut oil. Another one that's great for the fats is rub the coconut oil into your hands. And actually, with uh, one plant, because of another issue, actually, I have her rubbing avocado oil in the morning and coconut oil in the evening. I don't know that that matters, but that way she's getting both the anti-inflammatories as well as the antimicrobials. Uh, the lauric acid and the caprylic acid in coconut oil are both antimicrobials that are great for various types of infections. A milk moisturizer is good as well. So what you do is you take the bowl of milk and you just soak your hands in it for about 15 minutes. Exfoliation is a great way to remove dead skin, and you can do that just using lemon juice and sugar will exfoliate your skin. Things that are not good to do are Botox, skin removal, and smoking. Those are all going to make your skin look worse in the long run. Okay, so that's for Brandy in New Jersey. Let's go on to Lori in New York. Uh, She wants to know, how is it best to wash your hair? I was conditioned to do it daily, but a friend said not healthy for hair. Uh, And I totally agree with that. I was brought up to wash your hair daily, and uh, I ended up with incredibly oily hair. I was told that that's really ineffective and not good. So what you do is you go on a holiday and don't wash your hair for two weeks. Uh, After that, I've washed it once a, a week for years now, and that is considered a very healthy protocol. Now, the challenge is, When you have uh, too oily hair and you're washing it daily, you're not only provoking more oil by washing it, you're removing the good fats and other nutrients from the the hair follicles and from the scalp. And you're also removing the scalp bacteria that you need. So again, washing it once a week. Now, people say, okay, but I work out every day. I have to wash it. Or I perspire a lot at work and need a shower every day. Well, yeah. Those conditions do require that you have more um, hair wash showers and washing your hair. But ultimately, you can go in the shower and just shower your body and not wash your hair. You'd be doing a better job. So you shower. If you're not, like for me, I, I don't perspire unless it's humid. If it's humid, man, I perspire an awful lot. But I can work out for an hour. And if it's not humid, I won't perspire at all. So... What I would suggest to people is, depending on your perspiration level, you shower twice a week, but you only wash your hair once a week. Okay, hopefully that gave you bits and pieces all over the place. Okay, Brandon in Ontario, what is Dr. Holly's opinion about chelation and is it safe and does it work? Well, you can do chelation with injections. You can do it in different ways. What is chelation, if you don't know, is a way of removing heavy metals from the body. Now, I work with chelation all the time, but I get people to do it naturally. So number one, internally, glutathione is a phenomenal chelator. It will attach to all the heavy metals and help bring them through to the liver and actually help get them out of your body from the liver. Uh, if it, uh, once the liver has gone through the processes it needs to go to, then along with the glutathione, it goes uh, through the gallbladder back into the gut, and the glutathione has to attach to fiber. So important. If the glutathione can't attach to fiber, then you're going to 
uh, absorb the whole compound back into your body. So make sure you're eating your Granny Smith apples and your cabbage and your carrot, raw carrots for that fiber. But besides the glutathione, which your cells make internally in each cell of the body, you also have foods that are natural chelators. For instance, cilantro is known to remove aluminum and mercury and lead in particular. Various amino acids are chelator and an a great abundance of what you need are found in egg yolks, and we come back to fish again. Food-grade activated charcoal is often used. Brazil nuts help restore minerals like selenium and zinc that are used in the process of chelation. Onions and garlic have sulfuric compounds that are work great to uh, eliminate various heavy metals. Other vegetables that have sulfur in them are include cauliflower and Brussels sprouts and cabbage. People also use chlorea, which is good. I just don't like taking all the little tiny pills, so I don't use chlorea, and I don't um, prescribe it for any of my clients. Uh, there's too many others that I do like that I think are fantastic. But overall, again, my attitude is the more you get the body to do the work, the better it is. Chelation is phenomenal. We're doing it all the time. A healthy body does it better. Eat the foods that help your body create the glutathione to do it or just in general like with the sulfuric compounds etc do it on their own use your body to do what the body is supposed to do and your body will be stronger okay uh, other things like that uh, that you might think about is people often say you shouldn't drink ice water because that makes your body work harder to warm it up well that's true but i drink the ice water in fact to make my body work harder you know, if you're sick and depleted and what have you, then okay, avoid it. But if you're in a healthy body, then you should get your body to work. Uh, people tell you don't be around sick people because you will get sick. Well, I have a pretty healthy body. I believe in terrain versus germ theory. And I have sick people come into my office all day long every day, but I don't get sick. Why? Because my body uses their infections to make antibodies that protect me because I have a healthy body and a healthy immune system. My system can do that. If you're unhealthy, if you're immune compromised in the first place, then that's not a good thing to do. But a healthy body should be able to make those antibodies. In the old days, another example is in the old days, children um, would go and have a party with someone who had a chicken pox or if you know someone in the neighborhood had chicken pox you created the party and invited all the kids that way all the other children could make their antibodies that's what you want you don't want to be dependent on vaccines you want to be dependent on what the body naturally does again your hands are considered pathogenic wash your hands is what we hear all the time i say make sure your hands go to your face because that way you make antigens you're getting a natural vaccination, if you like. Going out in the cold weather forces your body to work, a thing to do. Children playing in the sandbox and getting dirty forces the body to make all kinds of different antigens. They're all good, healthy ways to help a good, healthy body work in a healthy way. And we're getting further and further away from that, thanks to Big Pharma and um, what medicine is teaching us today. If you rely on nutraceuticals and pharmaceuticals, you lessen the body's capacity to do the work itself, and thereby you're weakening the body. But the alternative uh, argument is that, again, if you're already immune compromised, then you don't want to push the body further. Or the other argument is our body or our food is so full of toxins and nutrient depleted, how do we have a healthy body? Well, that, again, is why I'm always pushing 
grow your own food. In the wintertime, if you, or in the summer, if you don't have a uh, garden, grow your herbs, grow your um, sprouts and your microgreens. They're fantastic for nutrients for the body. And remember, there are chemtrails, and if you believe that they're intentionally altering our weather, which they brag about, if you go to various sites, uh, there's certainly a lot of evidence to suggest that those chemtrails and weather controls are there and are true. But if you believe that, then the very air you breathe is toxic. It's low in oxygen. And again, it's good reason to make sure that you're getting good food that you are growing in your for your body so that your body can be healthy. I keep pushing that over and over and over again. Golly, you get tired of hearing me. But, but anyways, I do it. Okay, let's go to Peter in the UK. I have very overpowering cravings for breads and sweets and unhealthy foods. Can Dr. Holly recommend something to take away the cravings? Well, yeah, we can. Number one, eat bigger meals so that you are not hungry and wanting the cravings. When you know that um, you're feeding the uh, bad bacteria and even cancer with all that sweet stuff, You don't want to provoke cancers. You don't want to feed the bad guys. So that in and of itself should help you stop the cravings or override them. Uh, But things that can cause the uh, sugar cravings, not only the bad guys in your gut and cancers, but also if you're dehydrated. So drink more water. Uh, Foods that help you with them are eating rich uh, protein foods, which is counteractive to the gout, but eating more meat, fish, eggs, Those are good foods to have to prevent um, the cravings. The fruit that you're eating, like fructose, uh, or that has the sugar fructose, include things like bananas and sweet apples that we were talking about before. And that's better to eat a a bit of a banana or sweet apple than to eat the the sugar-loaded sweets and breads and what have you. Again, you want to avoid the artificial sugars as much as the real sugars. And again, you want to recognize you're feeding the bad guy. So also, uh, in addition to that, you want to look at sugar addiction. It's like any other sugar. It doesn't, or sorry, any other addiction. It doesn't matter whether it's smoking or drugs or alcohol. It is an addiction, just like sugar. So who's in charge? Are you or the addiction in charge? Now, the example I always give to people is, yeah, I understand that addictions can be hard to override. But I had a grandmother, she's not with us any longer, who started smoking at the age of 14. Throughout her life, smoked one or two packs of cigarettes a day. During that time, um, she had all kinds of other issues along with sugar, huge sugar intake. But at 82, she stopped smoking. She had smoked from 14 to 82 and stopped. If she can do that, so can you. I encourage you. Please stop eating the sugars. It is addictive. It is like drugs or alcohol or smoking or any other addiction, and it will definitely cause you problems. Okay? They're saying now even the dimensions are so uh, correlated with the sugar intake. So avoid those sugars, both artificial and real sugars. It doesn't matter. Get them out of your diet and be healthy. Okay, that's it for the questions and answers. So the third item that we have to talk about today is the gardening. Real short and sweet because we only have a few minutes left. Uh, Gardening in the winter is rather difficult to do underneath the snow that we have today here in Vancouver. I don't know what your weather is like, but it's not great. 
but you can help your gardens in the wintertime. You need nitrogen in the soils, and plants that fix nitrogen in the soils that you can grow over the winter include red clover, trifolium, that's the one I love the best, white clover, and various winter legumes. They will help to fix the nitrogen in the soil so that the soils are good for your plants in the springtime. And once you start turning over your soils, you can uh, fold them right into the ground. They have all of those have fantastic nutrient density, so they not only fix the nitrogen for you during the winter, but you fold them into the soils in the spring, and they add all kinds of really good nutrients. But you can also be fixing nutrients, remember this, for the summer, with a variety of um, uh, vegetables that you can grow during the spring and summer, including your green beans, your French beans, your runner beans, all your different types of beans, your different types of peas, field peas, pigeon peas. There's a variety of them. Vetch is another one uh, that you can use. Uh, but again, you can even use your white, red clover, white and red clover and alfalfa. Uh, if you go to ruralsprout.com, it will give you a variety of different types of nitrogen-fixing plants that all work incredibly well to fix the nitrogen. Again, my favorite is the red clover. Red clover is fantastic for your lymphatic system. It will actually clean out red clover tinctures. I use to clean out the um, uh, lymphatic system. So you've got there both winter and summer plants that you can use that fix the nitrogen and provide lots of nutrient for your soils. Okay. That's it for today at 1254, so we'll give you a little bit about me. I'm Dr. Holly with Choices Unlimited for Health and Wellness. You can go to my website, choicesunlimited.ca. used to have over 980 articles. We took them all down because I do a lot of talk explaining and giving you all the evidence and the real evidence and the real science behind this whole narrative that we've been um, fighting for this last couple of years. What nonsense it all is. Uh, how to work with it, how to, you know, what's in the jobs, what's in the PCR testing, how useless the PCR testing with the 95 to 100% false negatives, et cetera. So with all of that that I do on a huge number of different programs, um, I took my website, uh, all the articles on my website down so that I wouldn't get tagged so that I could still provide for you guys. Um, in that, you can also go to Dr. Holly Books, drhollybooks.com. That's my books. I've written over 30 books. There's about 20 on there. In the next couple months, there'll be another three coming up very quickly. Um, three different categories of books, so choose your category. They're, you can download most of them quite easily. Um, on the choicesunlimited.ca, there's also contact information if you want to contact me, for instance, about getting the best company with the best nutrients for all your transfer molecules that you, you need to get, uh, which is huge for your immune system. Okay, so that's me, um, Dr. Holly with Choices Unlimited for Health and Wellness, or on this show, um, the Whole Health Initiative Program. So I hope you're having really good health. I hope you in um, keep your health well and safe over the Christmas holidays and I'm leaving now for a month's holiday but we will be I think doing programs throughout the whole month from where I am we're, we're not too sure about that yet but we're going to hopefully do that if not Nicole will just post uh, programs from before so in case we don't see you again or talk with you again have the very best of the Christmas season stay healthy stay well 
and let's look forward to a really good new year without all the nonsense that's going on internationally. Take good care. Talk to you later. You're now tuned in to Nicole Whitney's News for the Soul Highlights, life-changing spotlights she has shared with leading teachers in the human consciousness field since 1997. Go now to newsforthesoul.com to hear the full shows totally free. That's newsforthesoul.com. Hi, everybody. I'm Nicole. I'm here. We're live. This is News for the Soul, life-changing talk radio from the uplifting to the unexplained. New guests to introduce you to. I'm excited about hearing this tale. A Texas physician and author, Larry Dossie, on the power of premonitions. That's right up our alley, of course, and we're going to find out more about that momentarily. We'll get the break done as we do at the top of the hour and go straight through. hate those interruptions, you know. Wanted to be all in the flow in a good way, so that's what we do here. If you miss any of the show anytime, newsforthesoul.com, all last decade or so shows all free all the time. Yeah, that's how I roll. Newsforthesoul.com, that's where you go, but not now, because he's here live. Momentarily, we're going to get started. Yeah, man, we all love to hear the good news, so we all should rush to hear the good news. But we tell us find the good news. NSPS, News for the soul at the very best. NSPN, News for the soul at the very best. NSPN, News for the soul at the very best. Yeah, man, just like on the www. News for the soul dot com. We are a life changing talk radio. We give you good news to keep you on the go, and you can also share the good news you know. And that's the way we keep in the flow. We only focus on the positive things, yeah. We only focus on the positive things, yeah. We never put none of the negative things there. We never put none of the negative things there. NFTN, NFTN. News for the soul at the very best. NFTN, NFTN. News for the soul at the very best. Log on to www.newsforthesoul.com Every time, come here good news, share the good news And we all feeling good for the good news Let's meet our new guest Just such an interesting story And it's always, uh, I always love the stories where spirit and science cross over When you get medical professionals and people sort of generally, traditionally In the left-brained place having amazing experiences which cross over into that lesser known, the unknown, the unexplained, and uh, as you know, that's where we live here. So that's what we're going to do is bring all that together, find out about Larry Dossie's story. And for some reason, I've never talked to this man before. I don't know why. Texas physician and author Larry Dossie on the power of premonition. In his 1989 book, Recovering the Soul, he introduced the concept of non-local mind, mind unconfined to the brain and body, mind spread infinitely through space and time. I think we talked to Greg Braden repeatedly about that concept, didn't we? And uh, his thing is about consciousness and emerging consciousness and powers of premonition, but much more. I think we've got a lot to cover. Dr. Larry Dossie, welcome to News for the Soul. Nicole, thanks for inviting me. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. It's, it's kind of been a long time coming, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Why haven't we talked before? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it sounds like we're, we, we're swimming in the same waters, uh, for sure. Uh, very much so. Very much so. But we are now, that's the important point, and... Uh, Boy, 
You know, we've got to basically do the Dr. Larry Dossie 101, start at the beginning of your story so we can get to know how we got here today. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, The Power of Premonitions uh, is a book that I tried actually not to write. I uh, Early on in my career as an internal medicine uh, physician, I uh, I really didn't want to venture into these areas because, as you probably know very well, this is not the fooling around with these ideas is not the very best way to advance your career in medicine. <laughs> but uh, I, I didn't have much choice in the matter, uh, as it turned out. Uh, the very first year I was in medical practice, I had a series of dreams which uh, were precognitive, uh, 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 which is the term I use for premonitions. Uh, and uh, I saw the clinical events of uh, my patients before they actually would happen the next day. Uh, this scared me to death. I, I did not know how to deal with this. It unnerved me. Uh, and so I did something that I'm really good at, Nicole. I, I just practiced denial. <laughs> I, uh, I, I just didn't want to deal with these because I did not know what to do with them. But I knew in a heartbeat that the world just didn't work the way I had been taught uh, if we could see uh, the future, which I clearly had done. Uh, so I just sort of stayed in a, a state of uh, denial for uh, uh, several months after that initial experience. But then my How many patients, did you have? How many well, actual? A, a series three. of three, and uh, some of them were so complex and, and, and really almost in camera-like detail, they were so specific. Yes. You know what? That's what caught my, my eye about your story, I've got to tell you, just personally, because I've had that myself, those dreams, and it's always 24 hours in advance. And I, you know, journalist mind and left brain mind, I mean, it's, you know, it's like I had to have that direct experience as well, so I would know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't prove it to anybody else, but I would know, right? Exactly. Uh, it was always 24 hours in advance, and it's different than a dream. It's it's like very real. Well, uh, you know, the vividness of these things is one of the most striking uh, features of them. And yeah. uh, actually, as we may talk about a little later on, that's one of the clues that we can use about uh, knowing which uh, which premonitions that come in dreams are worthy of paying attention to. Those really vivid ones that seem like they're sort of lit up from the inside, as one woman told me. Mm. But then, uh, actually, uh, a short time later, my patients discovered that I had an interest in this area because I began to write about it in editorials and books. And my patients began to come to me with their premonitions. Uh, one morning, one of my favorite patients, she was a, really a hotshot lawyer in Dallas, uh, came and said, I, I know I have ovarian cancer and I need your help instantly. Uh, uh, she said, I had a dream last night in which I saw three little white spots on my left ovary. So uh, she said, I know that they're ovarian cancer. We we did an exam. It was normal. Uh, we did a sonogram. And sure enough, on her left ovary, there were the three little white spots, just as she had dreamt them. Uh, the good part of that story is that she got her diagnosis wrong, however. These were just benign ovarian cysts and not uh, cancerous lesions. But then nurses started coming to me with their premonitions as well, and I, I have to say that I, I've never met a professional group uh, that was more premonition prone than nurses. Uh, and so it went on and on. And over the years, I began to feel very comfortable with this. And I, uh, 